That was some happy moment for me. Here is three attorneys, a judge, and they are recognizing me for their fifth grade teacher. got some friends here in town. Uh, they're part of a group called Be the Bridge. And Be the Bridge is like a reconciliation group. It's a place where white people and black people get together to talk about their feelings and about society and about the things that are troubling so many of us as Americans. Well, they got together and they did some talking and decided they wanted to make a podcast about the black part of our town. So they came to me and asked if we would do it. College Hill is a lot like every black neighborhood in every small Southern American town. And I'm a lot like every middle-class white guy you've ever met. This is a podcast about what happens when those two things come together. From Be the Bridge and the Alderman Group, this is College Hill. Thank you so much for being willing to be here. Well, thank you for asking me. (laughs) I really, really appreciate you being here today. On today's episode, we're going to be interviewing Helen Miller, who was the very first black principal in Bradley County, and she was the principal of College Hill when it was burned down. So you are the former principal? I am. Here? You are. You are still forever. (laughs) Forever the principal? Yes, I'm still around. (laughs) How old are you? I am 92. I know that it's not... You're not normally supposed to ask a lady her age, but at some point you ask, right, when you're going to interview them for a... I don't don't mind at all because God has been good to me, and I'm just so glad to live to see, to be the age of 92, because I know it's a blessing. So what was your, what was your date of birth? 10-7-26. It's amazing. As I look across the table at this amazing person, I think she's been alive almost a century. There's so much knowledge here. There's so much wisdom. It's really one of those things that only time can give a person. And uh, I think we would all do better if we slowed down a bit and listened to the people who've really lived some life. Tell me. Were you born here? I was born in Charleston, about 10 miles above here. Okay. So you were born, yeah, you weren't born I was born in Bradley County. Okay. Charleston is in Bradley County. So, uh, Miss Helen, tell me, um, tell me a little bit about your earliest memories of being in here growing up, growing up, I guess, in Charleston. When did you move from Charleston to Cleveland, or did you live in Charleston? Do you still live in Charleston? Do you live no, in Cleveland? No, I live here in Cleveland, and I was born as an only child to the Reverend and Mrs. H.A. Sheeler. My dad ministered here in Cleveland for 
quite a few years at St. James Cumberland Presbyterian Church. As we talked, she explained to me that her father had been a man of great influence, a traveling pastor who'd gone all the way from Texas through Alabama back to Tennessee. Did you always want to be a teacher? I suppose I did, because I just had the love for people and the love for children, and I just wanted to to do something that I could make a showing and to know, let people know that I cared. And this may be the most significant thing about meeting Helen Miller. It's her significant, long-lasting impact on hundreds and hundreds of people. She has influenced hundreds, maybe thousands of lives throughout her life. The expanse of her reach is really just almost impossible to imagine. Everywhere I've gone in this town, I've heard from people, no matter how wealthy, no matter what kind of job they have, no matter what vocation, who say that Helen Miller had a significant impact on their life. So when I was in the sixth grade, I went to J.L. Cook High, and that's where I finished from because I was not allowed to go into the what we call white schools because I had to pass four schools in order to get to a school. I passed Charleston School, Calhoun School, Riceville School, McMinn County High, and I ended up at Cook High because I wasn't allowed to go to any of these schools. And I stayed with my uncle and aunt from Monday through Friday. And I can remember catching what they then called the Streamliner. It was the train that ran from Washington to Birmingham, and it ran at 10.30 or 10 o'clock at night. And I was, I always caught that train on Friday night and came to Cleveland. And my dad met me at the train station here in Cleveland to pick me up. So very intellectual family, very religious family. Very, very religious. Education mattered. Education mattered because my dad had gone um, to Knoxville College. My dad, because his brother, who had raised him from 12 years old, worked hard on the railroad. And he said he worked to put his brothers through college. What did you do when you, first, when you first graduated? After I got out of college, like most people, I was interested in getting a job. I wanted a job. I had put in applications everywhere, but my I had always been taught that any kind of work was honest if you made an honest living. It didn't make any difference how you made a living. But I wanted to be independent. Tell me about that. So I took a job. uh, Why did you want to be independent? To take care of myself. So when you say independent, when you say independent, you mean 
not to live at home anymore. No, no, not be, that. But not I, independent on anyone but yourself. I so. wanted to be able to take care of myself when it came to finances, when it came to doing, because my mother and dad had sacrificed so much for me that I wanted to do to take some responsibility off of them to say that I have my own dollar. I can spend my own dollar. I don't have to ask my mother and dad because I'm an adult now. I want to be able to take care of myself. So I took a job here in Cleveland with the Kirkpatricks. Tell me, tell Mr. Kirkpatrick owned Kirkpatrick's shoe store, which is Hodrick's clothing store down, I think it's on First Street now. Mm-hmm. But I was living in Charleston at the time. I made $15 a week in bus fare. And I rode, they had a little city bus that ran from Charleston to Cleveland. I caught that city bus every day coming to Kirkpatrick's who lived on Okoy Street. Charleston, to me, was only segregated through schools and churches because during the week, we lived with everybody and everybody knew everybody. There was a lady and that we lived on this street facing this street and there was a street going here and there was a white family who lived right behind us. Mm-hmm. Today, if she was still living, I guess it would be Aunt Pearl, but she was white and she always stayed at our house and my mother used to say sometimes, Lord, I wish Pearl would stay at home sometimes. But but Pearl would always bounce in the back door, and my mother would always receive her. And she was the best seamstress, I guess, in the world. And when I was born, she always made all of my clothes. I've done a lot of thinking about what Miss Miller said to me here. It's really interesting how in her community, there really was no race gap Everybody just sort of lived together. They were all friends. Um, They were free to come and go from one another's homes. They didn't lock their doors. You had white people basically calling black children their nieces and nephews. But then when you got into the institutions, like churches or schools, racism was such a huge deal. I don't really know why that is. But I feel like it still exists today. It seems like so many places that I go, I see black people and white people getting along just fine. But it's when we get into business that suddenly we realize we're not on the same playing field. Well, you call her Aunt Pearl. She was white. Yes. Because you said schools she, were segregated. Schools were segregated. Some churches were segregated. But here you are, you're a black family, you're calling, and the white lady's coming over to your house. When I, so let me tell you what I'm, what I'm thinking about right now, what you're telling when I hear it. One of the things that um, 
Vice Mayor Avery Johnson was telling me was that here in these communities, locally, there was so much of a feeling between the black community and the white community that they want to get this right. But there was a lot of looking at the rest of the country and seeing the difficulties that were going on with segregation, with issues and sort of holding our breath here to see, you know, what would happen. But what it sounds like in Charleston, at least as a child, the experience was that uh, the institutions were segregated, but the communities not. The I mean, community. you would call a white, a the, the white com- woman your aunt. The community was not. That's the reason why I say that everybody back then, Charleston was a small town, but everybody knew each other. Everybody knew the uh, grocerman. And I can remember going to Bolden's, B-O-L-D-E-N, at Bolden's grocery store. It was always Mr. Dan. And Mr. Dan always knew me as Helen. And I was went, a and child. And went in the grocery store. There was no problem. No problem. Yeah. Because everybody knew everybody. We went into the post office. The postmaster was white. But she knew everybody. Mm-hmm. And we, it was, I can remember Miss Timmy Bryant. Miss oh. Timmy was always nice to everybody. It was the same way. But it said it was only the schools and the churches. Did you feel did you feel the same way about Cleveland? When you lived in Cleveland, did you feel the same sense of community? No. No. Tell me what's different. I don't know. Because I guess it was different because I was raised different. I was raised to to that you know, no matter who you are, no matter what color you my my dad used to instill that with me, that color doesn't make any difference. Right. That it comes from the heart, and you felt this, that's how people. And, it, that's and how people I felt, there were. I felt like people there in Charleston because Aunt Pearl was at our house all the time. Mm-hmm. She was always doing nice things and caring for me. When we were, they was just about a half a block away from my house. There was a man who ran a blacksmith shop. He was white. And he only had one leg. We always called him Mr. Bob. Mr. Bob. Mr. Bob knew every black child. He knew every white child. Right. Tell me, so, but that not in Cleveland when you were Well, no, when I first moved to Cleveland, no, it wasn't. It wasn't like you that. Did, you felt that, yes, the schools were segregated. Yes, the churches were segregated. But that sense of community that you had felt in Charleston, you didn't feel here the same way. You mentioned, you said you had had your first child, and that's why you went into Kirkpatrick's for shoes. Tell me about your children. I have three children. My oldest is my son. I have two daughters. Tell me, can I know their names? Uh, Carlton LeBron, Sophia Anita, Sophia has my middle name. My name is Helen Anita. And uh, my baby daughter is has her dad, part of her dad's name. Her name is Angela Johnetta because my husband's name was John. John, okay. And when did you and John get married? We got married in 1944. Were you still in college then? or were you Yes, not? I was. So you got married while you were in college? I got married while I was in college and... My mother and dad and my husband made a pact 
<laughs> okay, no, you, I'm interested. So your mother, your wait, your mother, your father, and John made a pact. Made a pact. Tell me about this. The pact was. My father and my husband and my mother sat down and they said, Helen is in school. We know that you've had a child. And my mother said, you can bring that child to me. But we would like to know that do you support her finish in her education? Because at that time, I only had two years of college. And my husband said, I'm glad to hear that because that's what I want, too. Mm-hmm. So he agreed. Were you married at that time when I you had your mar- first child? I was married and had my first child. So you were married, you had your first child, but you hadn't told your parents yet. And they said, we heard you had a yeah, baby. No, I, 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 my, I had a wedding. I could show no, you No, no, I know you had a wedding. I was talking about I, when they said you had a child. Was it you were you were having to decide? I'm either going to raise this child, child and drop out of school, right, right. And so they went to him and said, "Let Let's have a talk. Is How yeah. important?" And uh, he said, uh, "My husband coincided with what they wanted." And so they said, "Well, the child is not going to be an interference because she can bring that child." My mother said, "I will raise that child." Helen can go right on back to school. My husband was working at New Johnsonville Steam Plant down near Memphis. We came home every two weeks. He would pick me up on Friday afternoon. We would drive from Nashville to Charleston to see our child. I thought this was amazing that the entire family had rallied around the importance of education, no matter what it took, right? Come home, stay with us, we'll watch the baby, you go to school, right? We're gonna work so that you can go to school. We're gonna do whatever it takes so that you can get an education. And ultimately, that really made all the difference. Are you enjoying listening to College Hill? We sure hope so. And if you are, we'd love you to know that this was made possible through the generous donations of the United Way of the Ekoi region. The United Way does so many things in the community. From helping people with poverty to education, the United Way is focused on every community that they're in, and that is especially true of the United Way of the Ekoi region. Once again, here's College Hill. I got um, a... um phone call, I think it was, a phone call to come to the Bradley County uh, Central Office for an interview. At that time, Sim Beatty was superintendent of Bradley County Schools. And he told me that they had uh, an opening. He didn't know how long it was going to last. But would I be interested? And I said, yes. What was it for? Now, that was for an elementary school job. That was before my ch- uh, my first child was born. But I was I was working, and I was uh, pregnant at the time because I had married in January. Mm-hmm. So it was in the spring of that same year after I, I was uh, uh, pregnant with my first child. That I got this child, that I got this call, and I went for an interview, 
and I wanted to know where it was. And he said, we haven't, we're going to have an opening because we have an overcrowding condition at High Point in Charleston. Would you be interested in the job? Certainly I was interested because it was at home. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to walk with about two blocks from my home there to get to the school. So you had gone to High Point. Now you're back at High now, Point. Now I'm back and at High Point. And you're going to teach elementary school. Uh-huh. How long did you teach there? I taught there for four years. Were there a lot of other black teachers? Uh, there were three of us. At that school? At that time. At were that there school. white teachers at that no. school also? Or just, no. Just so there were right. three of you that taught the whole school? Right, right. Okay. How many students do you think? I don't remember exactly how many students, but I went in. I think the three teachers were broken down into, I think I had the first through, uh, first through third grade, and one of the teachers had four through six, and the other teacher had seven through eight. And that's as far as the school went, was through eighth grade. Then after I taught at High Point, and they said uh, that um, it was nearing the, or integration was being talked about, but it wasn't at this time. How'd that feel when it first started being talked about? Well, uh, after working for four years and it had not happened, and they said they were going to have to terminate one teacher, well, I knew that was me last hired, (laughs) first to go. (laughs) So then I give God credit for everything. I had not been out of a job any time until McMinn County Schools called me and said, you have been recommended to us. We've got a position open as principal of a two-year, of a two-teacher school in Etowah. So I took that position and was principal of East Etowah uh, Elementary School for a year. And that was at the time that Bowwater was being built and the road from Charleston to 411 was being under construction. Mm-hmm. I drove that muddy road every day, twice a day, going from Charleston to Etowah. And then at the end of that year, well, that school went down. And at when this time... That, when you say that school went down, what do you mean? They closed it. It was closed because um, they said that they were going to integrate. I didn't follow up on that. But anyway, when I went home and my husband and myself sat down and he said, honey, he said, don't you worry about it because God has made a way for us so far. Now, I have a job. And as long as we have a roof over our head, and we are together, that's all that matters. So at this time, we had just been able to buy a home because, as I said, my husband worked for the TVA Mm -hmm. at uh, New Johnsonville. He had worked at 
Watauga in Bristol mm-hmm. and uh, Watts Bar. He was a chef. And everywhere they built a new plant, it seemed like they moved him <laughs> uh, because they needed him to set up the cafeteria. Okay. And he moved every time. Where did you buy your house? It was just close to where, because let me go back. I may be going back a little bit, but that's okay. Is my mother and father and my my husband? Well, he became not like a husband or a son-in-law. He was more like you just in the family. He was accepted like that, and uh, so. Um, my mother and dad sat down and they talked to him and told him that you have a good job. Helen has a job now. Why don't, since you're not at home and you can't be at home, you're here every two weeks, why don't you two, this is our advice to you, to put your salaries together, put it in the bank, save it until you're able to buy a piece of property. Helen can stay right here at home and it won't cost her a penny. She's at home. She's ours. We want to help. Mm -hmm. That's what we did. We, every time I would get a payday, every time he would get a payday, it went into the bank to save. So we saved our money until we were able to buy a piece of property. I was out hanging up my clothes, my basket, and I was hanging up clothes. And she said, Mother, telephone. And I said, Baby, I'm hanging up my clothes. Who is it? She said, I don't know, Mother. But she said, uh, It sounds like that is somebody very important. So I just dropped my sheets in the basket and went to the phone. Mm -hmm. And it was the superintendent of Cleveland City Schools. And what did he say? And he said, Ms. Miller said, we would like to have an interview with you. Can you be in my office by 2 o'clock? I think this was about 11 o'clock in the morning. And I said, yes, I don't know what happened to my clothes. (laughs) I don't know who hung them up. I don't know if they got in the dryer or if they got hung up. But I ran into the house, took my shower, got dressed, and hit the road from Charleston to Cleveland to be. And what happened at that meeting? He said, we're very pleased with this interview. And he said, can I contact you in a couple of days? And I said, sure. A couple of days, he called me and he said, you've got the job. For what? What was the job? The job was here at College Hill. Okay. So you come to College Hill. I came to College Hill. And that's where we're sitting right now. That's where we're sitting right now. I came to College Hill as a fifth grade teacher. And I was here until College Hill burnt. Nobody knows what a sad time it was because I had come to love the people of this area. And they had come to love me and they supported me. Mm -hmm. 
And it, it was, you had the cooperation of parents. Right. It wasn't just teachers. But I guess I cared so much about children. Mm-hmm. I can remember that there were times that even though I was an elementary teacher, that I always stood in my doorway. And every child that passed through that door, I would touch them on the shoulder and I would say, good morning, how are you this morning? And children are honest. Yeah. They tell you a lot of times more than you want to know. And you don't have to ask for it sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I used to have children who were in the high school here at College Hill, and the high school was on the second floor. Okay. The, uh, the second floor housed the high school. The elementary school was on the first floor. Mm-hmm. What we call the basement or the lower part housed the um, chemistry and lab room mm-hmm. and the library and the restrooms. This part here had been the new part, the annex, that was built on. Mm -hmm. This was the cafeteria. Because before they even got a cafeteria, the children had to go home for lunch. They had an hour. But they would go home, and I would even have, even after they built the part and had the part for... um, the cafeteria, I used to have high school kids who would come to my room and say, Miss Miller, it's an embarrassment for me to bring a biscuit and jelly sandwich to school. I live right here behind the school, or I live right here on the corner. And I said, well, why don't you ask your high school teachers, somebody, and they said, Miss Miller, they don't listen to us like you do. And I said, why? They said, we don't know, but they'll just say, no, we don't want to talk about it. I'm not going to talk about it. And I would say, don't you ever let me down that if you need to run home and if you can be back in 10 or 15 minutes, and they would always come back and say, Miss Miller, I'm back. I'm back. And that made me feel good because I had their trust. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the community around here at that time. And, and so you're coming into a new school. You've got the job. Tell me about the first people who worked here for you and the first students who were here when the school opened. When the school burnt? No, when it opened. So I so wasn't me... here when it opened because College Hill it had been around since uh, since the 1800s, I think. It had been, oh, uh, really? College Hill had been here forever. But I do remember Profe- Professor Knox, who was, a te- uh, who was the principal here when I was just a little child. And I remember Profe- Professor A.E. Martin, who was principal here before I came. When you got here, what was your vision for the school? What was the thing you wanted to see happen? I I just wanted to see everything go forward, every child to be happy, Mm -hmm. and every child to be and to reach his or her potential. Right. Because every child and every person doesn't learn 
alike. There are differences. And I would say to myself, if you give me six weeks with a child, I can tell you what that child can do and what that child can't do. But I felt like every child has the ability to do something. And when every child grows up, they're they're not going to stay a child all their life. They ought to be able to grow up to put a roof over their head, put food on their table, and put clothes on their back. Everybody is not college material, but everybody ought to be able to make a decent and honest living. And that's the way I always felt about people. The very best teachers have impact beyond the classroom. We all know that. It's not just that they teach us the things we're supposed to learn, but they shape who we are as individuals. They mold our morals. They mold our character. And that's exactly who Helen Miller is. Tell me about the fire. I was living in Charleston at the time. It was about 11 or 11.30 at night. I had put my children to bed. Mm -hmm. And... I got a telephone call. I was, I was already dressed for bed. And I got this telephone call, and I don't remember the lady's last name, but I remember I was so excited that she told me her last name was Blair. And it say because I was so excited, I guess I, she said, Mrs. Miller, I'm calling you because the school is on fire. Can you even imagine getting this phone call? It's the middle of the night, and the thing you've worked so hard to do is on fire. She said, I work at Magic Shift, and I work second shift, and I was just passing by and saw the smoke and the flames. And she said, I rushed home, so I'm sure that she must have lived in this area. Yeah. And she said, I'm just calling you. I got my children. At that time, I only had two. Uh-uh. I got my children up out of bed. I grabbed blankets and pillows. And about the time I was trying to get things together, my phone rang again. And it was um, Superintendent Ross, E.L. Ross was the superintendent mm-hmm. at that time. And he said, Miss Miller, he said, College Hill is on fire. We need you to come immediately if you can come. I said, I'm in the process of getting there. Someone just called me. And he said, well, we need you to get here as soon as you can because you are the only one who knows where the school records are. And we would like to save the school records are as much as we can because it looks like it's going to be a major fire. Tell me about that major fire. When you got here, what When I got here, there were policemen, firemen, fire trucks, people from the community all around, and two small children 
in the back seat of my car on pillows. And it was cold, very cold. And what time of year was it? It was in February. I, I think it was in February. It was cold. So you got here. What? How bad was the fire? Oh, it was just in flames. And the firemen, I can remember that one fireman fell through and they rushed him to the hospital. But they were working very hard trying to get the fire out. What and I was trying to tell them where the office was so they could get to the records and get things out. Were they able to get to them? They were. So they, they were, were able to get to Because them. the fire started in the back, or what mm-hmm. they what I was told that the fire started in the furnace room. Mm-hmm. Well, as I had previously said, the furnace room was in the basement. So the office was on the front on the first floor. Mm-hmm. So they were able to break the door and to break windows and get into the office mm-hmm. and get things out of the lobby like um, trophies. There was a trophy uh, cabinet and different things that were in the um, front lobby and they were able to get out the records so they could take them to um, the uh, central office. How do you think the school caught fire? I don't know. I don't know. But I don't believe in my heart which they tried to make me say, how did I know how it started when I was 12 miles away? Mm-hmm. But I have heard many rumors. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I have never said because I don't know. Of course. I don't know. But some said it was black kids who did it, but I, I don't believe that because they love College Hill. Mm-hmm. Our kids and our families loved College Hill. This was the only thing they had. Why you burn up something that you have? This is where we went to school. This, is, this was the hub with the churches of the community. Mm-hmm. They were here on a daily basis. They loved College Hill, and we all loved College Hill. Let that sink in. It's the only thing they had. I think sometimes we completely lose perspective on tragedy, especially when it comes to accusing people. And sometimes we accuse the people who are the easiest to accuse, the people that don't necessarily have a voice in our own cultures. And we forget They would never destroy the only thing they had. The reaction was, I think, if my memory is correct, the school burnt on Friday night. Mm -hmm. It was on a Friday night. Well, on Monday morning, they came to me and all of the teachers that were here at the time were wanting to know, what are we going to do? Where are we going? And the first thing that they wanted to do was to put the children in 
to the black churches. I said, no, that will not work because you're going to have 10 or 15 children at this church, 10 or 15 children over now, and you're going to have our children spread all over Cleveland just at different churches. I don't think that will work. Well, I guess I was listened to because it didn't take place. What did take place? Oh, uh, I think it was on, it was further on in the week that we were told that um, they were going to take a survey of all of the teachers to see where they would like to go within the Cleveland City Schools. And I thought, oh, that's a change. <laughs> that's a change all at once. You wanted to put us in the, in the churches uh-huh. and, you know, put 10 or 15 kids at Pleasant Grove, 10 or 15 kids at Price Memorial, 10, 15 kids here, and you got children spread all over town. I just didn't think that would work. So I, I was against it. So when they came up with the survey, I said, well, what's the survey going to be? Well, we want you to have all of the teachers to fill out where they would like to go because all of our teachers were tenured teachers too. They all had degrees. And all of the city schools were put on that survey and they were passed out to all of the College Hill teachers. Where would you like to be placed? And all the city schools were on that survey. And you put your first and second choice of whatever school you think you would like to go to mm-hmm. within the city. You weren't assured of it. We weren't assured of anything. But you checked off what first and second place that you would like to mm-hmm. go to as teacher. Everybody filled out that survey, and it went back to the superintendent's office. Then after that, you were assigned to wherever, Mm -hmm. you know, that if it was first or second place that you wanted to go, that's how we were placed into the city schools. Yeah. What did you do during that time? I I signed up for my first choice was George R. Stewart School. My second choice was Mayfield. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't know what other people, I guess they got their choices because I didn't question it. Mm -hmm. It wasn't my place to question where you want to go. That was the individual. Where did you end up going? I ended up getting first place, George R. Stewart School. Mm -hmm. I went to George R. Stewart. That wasn't just a black-only school. No, it was all of the schools except College Hill here in the city of Cleveland were predominantly white. We talked for hours, so obviously there's more, a lot more. So coming up on the next episode, I talked to Helen Miller some more about race relations, segregation, and integration on the next episode of College Hill.